This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 169. We're recording on Thursday, August 4th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. We have a big stuff show today, so we're going to get right to our first spot. Audible's back. You know who they are. They're the leading provider of audiobooks from broadcasters, publishers, entertainers, magazines, business information providers. They're the leaders out there. Their app is free, works on any device really you could reasonably expect it to at this point. Audible also has a great listen guarantee. Decide you don't like a book you chose, not a problem. Trade it in, no questions, get a different title. Super, super simple. I've done it myself a couple times. Really unbelievably easy. It's one of those kinds of features that it's like, that, that, that was it. That I, I just traded in. I got my credit pack and I can use it right now. Really great stuff. Just for our listeners, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookwrite today to start your free trial. Again, show your support for our show. Get a free 30-day trial at audiblepodcast.com. All right, Rebecca, big week. Big week. Who knew? I guess we knew that since Cursed Childhood coming out, we were going to have big news this week. Yes. Anyway. If you had asked me how big of a news week the first week of August was going to be in publishing, I would have been like negative. Like nothing, (laughs) nothing interesting is going to happen in publishing in the first week of August. But that was not the case. Not the case. Um, We'll get to what Oprah did. I guess I guess the the Cursed Child stuff is sort of follow up from last week since we talked about it before. But the Cursed Child came out. I have my copy sitting right here. We've got initial print stuff going on. I thought we'd talk about. Um, So uh, Scholastic says that sold 2 million copies. In print is my understanding, mm-hmm. is what I'm seeing. So it doesn't count ebooks or – I don't know. Is there an audio? I was looking for it. I don't see one. Oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, and which this- would be super interesting because it is a play. So in a lot of – I guess the thing that's tricky about – I guess an audio recording, you wouldn't get any more cl- clues necessarily about who is who than mm. you are in a stage play, except that you get to see the – I just wonder if like – plays where you don't get, you know, basically the stage directions and yeah. who's talking if that's difficult. I don't see it. I'm looking at Audible right now. I don't, I don't see I, it. You know, if they had a different actor for every character, then a, yeah. an audio version of a play, you know, could be interesting, but you're still lacking, right, all those visual, mm-hmm. all the visual information of what you should be imagining, unless you're listening and reading at the same time. Uh, um, I Yeah, I haven't seen an audio So anyway, version. we're off the track a little bit already yep. about that, but um, two million copies in print, ebook sales haven't been released. Um, just for some perspective, according to BookScan, the best-selling book of the year so far is uh, Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss, which has sold 500,000 yeah, copies in print. It's always a... We talked about how that always happens this uh, time of yeah, year. Yeah, and we'll probably fade by the end of... Well, certainly The Cursed Child, but 2 million in three days. So it's basically uh, quadding 
uh, what other mm-hmm. places you'll go already. Yeah. And the other books, just just some other perspective. Now, this is book scan print number, so it doesn't capture everything, blah, 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 all the usual caveats apply. But in terms of fiction, you know, End of Watch by Stephen King has sold just under 200,000 copies so far, though it just came out the end of June. The big nonfiction adult title of the year so far has been When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi, which is 350,000 copies. Um, Jojo Moyes, the Me Before You paperback sold 310. Another movie tie-in sold 100,000. Let me just, I'm just doing a quick look. The other big book of the year so far is Diary of the Wimpy Kid, which I'm trying to look for right here. Where'd that go? Uh, 320,000 copies so far this year. So that's, that's to give you some sense that this is a multiplicative moment (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. for publishing. Good for Scholastic. Um, I'm wondering where they're going to, I don't know. Is it? It's a play. Is, will, it, will it go under juvenile, uh, you know, children's oh, young adult right. fiction? Right. Where is it going to get shelved? I, I mean, it's tell in Harry Potter, right? Library bookseller people. Yes, please tell Where us. are you shelving this? Um, yeah, Little Brown notes that I will. This piece from The Guardian UK notes that this is the um, fastest selling play script ever, which um, our colleague uh, Rachel Smolter Hall joked on Twitter last night like, yeah, well, that's a low bar. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, was, I don't even know <laughs> but, what would even be close. Uh, um, but this is also the fastest selling book published in this decade. Um, destroying it, Ghost of the Watchmen, yeah, destroying, destroying Fifty Shades of Grey. Gray. Yeah, just just laying waste to everyone. So, I mean, we don't have a control group to know like what Harry, po- this book as a novel, you know, like as just a regular thing, if it would Harry have, Potter eight, Harry <laughs> Potter eight, if it would have sold more or less, but it's the, we said last time, it's the most pure book since the Deathly Hallows. People are into it. Um, I don't know what to say. I big, 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 we're going to have a special podcast about it in a couple weeks. Um, we're not, I haven't read it intentionally cause I didn't want to spoil or anything yet for this show. Um, but stay tuned if you've read it or going to read it. Um, we're going to have a, we're going to have a guest on in a couple weeks and do one of our special episodes, four and a half million print copies. I, I bought it the day it came out, but I can't make myself read it. I don't know why. Oh, is that interesting? I've just been wanting a two, three hour chunk where I can just blast through and I haven't found one yet. Uh, Um, did, did you, could you just walk in and pick one up? Where'd you get it? I got it at Target, which was actually oh. the first time I've ever bought a big new hardcover release at Target. What but, was it? What was the discount? Do you mind me asking? Uh, I think it was. So it's priced like a regular hardcover. I think it's priced at like twenty five ninety five or twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah. Okay. And it was I think seventeen ninety nine. Okay. That's whatever a good percentage yeah. that it, it did not have a big percentage sticker on the front of it. Mm. I was just at Target. Was like, oh, I bet they have Harry Potter here, and like this is a thing I should do as a bookish person is at some point buy a big hardcover from mm-hmm. Target so I can, I don't know, say I have, like there's a, an imaginary bingo card or something. <laughs> so I did it and I was like, sure, whatever, I'm going to buy this book regardless. Um, and then when I, it rang up, I was like, oh, oh $17.99, okay. Um, but they had a whole bunch of them. Um, I know it went, it, you know, surged out of some of the indies in Richmond and then they got their resupply mm. a couple of days later. I've been seeing the like, hey, it's back in stock. After the um, show last week, I, which I said I had pre-ordered, I went to check and I, I hadn't from Amazon. Ah. Um, so we were out of town this weekend in a little bookstore in um, McMinnville, Portland. We were on vacation for the weekend I'm in McMinnville, Third Street Books, a beautiful, cute little mm. bookstore. Um, and I asked them, you know, are they have a bunch of people come in? Are there a lot of interest? Like, yeah, we have 25 copies that we can give away as pre-orders, and we've got one left. So I spoke for it, came back the next day. Nice. Um, 
But apparently they heard there were distribution problems for some of the bookstores. So I don't know hmm. if that's true or not. But they had – so that, that's one, that's a small bookstore. They got 25 that they gar- were guaranteed. They're still getting another 25 on Monday. Um, and they had sold them all out. And they had people coming in and asking for them. It's like it's kind of a bummer because I'm sure those people that came into that little bookstore looking for it would have paid – you know, they were charging full sticker, twenty nine ninety nine. Um, and they, if they didn't get it right, then they go to Target or Walmart or whatever. My grocery store, it's uh, is selling it even. Oh yeah, I haven't been to the grocery store since it came out. I'm gonna have to look. Fred Meyer in Portland is no ordinary grocery store. It's kind of, it's more like a, it's kind of the <laughs> inverse of a Target where it's like mostly non-food stuff and then some mm. food stuff. Fred Meyer's mm-hmm. the opposite. It's like a grocery yeah. store with like a mini Target slammed on top of it. Yeah, we have what I call a super Kroger here, yeah. <laughs> which right. is like the largest Kroger on the eastern seaboard because mm-hmm. that's how exciting the suburbs of Richmond are. Uh, and I think they'll I'm sure they'll have a bunch of copies, too. So it's, it'll be interesting how it continues selling. Um, yeah. Is this pent up demand? Uh, is it going to get word of mouth where people are like I got to pick that thing up? Yeah, I don't know. I've been really interested in what the shape of the sales are going to be. Like, is it all lumped around the people who were excited about it and either pre ordered it or went out? You know, the first day kind of goes at a watchman style. Which yeah, kind of what's faded the or gray for yeah? Them. What's the long yeah. tail on Harry Potter? Um, going so to look let's like? talk. Maybe we haven't read it. Um, we so we can talk non spoilery about what we've been hearing other people saying and feeling about what's your impression so far you know the thing that i'm hearing the most in both positive and negative context is that it feels a lot like fan fiction Hmm. um some of it like in the the positive context uh, people have said like it feels sort of like it's fan service it feels like authorized fan fiction um you get you know a lot of follow-up from these beloved characters people saying how excited they were to spend more time Mm. with harry um but then the flip side that i've heard is like well i had closure the epilogue of the last book was already more than i wanted to know and like i was you know i was ready for closure with these characters this feels like fan fiction it feels like just a way to bring these back out out, I'm ready for it to be done. Um, so that that sort of interesting like fan fiction uh, connection piece has come up in in most of the conversations that I've had about it with both people who loved it and people who were sort of lukewarm. I haven't talked to anybody personally who really really hated it. Yeah, um, neither have I. I no, yeah, I've never heard sure... anyone or seen anyone say that out loud. Right. Least. Yeah, I'm sure that contingent exists. Sure, just like... a two million. Yeah, <laughs> right. and with with fandom, what it is, uh, it might be. You know, just less popular to state that opinion on the internet. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm interested in. I, I'm going to have to read it. I mean, we're both going to do that at some point. Um, but that's the main. That fan fiction comparison is the main thing that I've been hearing. What about you? you? Know, I've basically the same. Um, I guess the the. I don't even know. We don't have really a word for it. I guess the fan fiction way is like it's not even epilogue. It's sort of. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't really know. Like, this is a historical moment, and it seems like with a lot of art, you know, especially mm-hmm. pop culture, where the thing is over, and yet we get another iteration or another kind of a curtain call moment, right? We're getting four more Gilmore Girls movie TV shows. You get Arrested right. Development, sort of whatever existences it's in. You know, you get Fuller House, like these big things. I guess because distribution is easier and production costs are lower that you can serve sort of the hardcore fans and make enough money that way. You know, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a big breakout mainstream hit to keep it going. If you get, I don't know, and Harry Potter is the wrong example because it's so big, but I guess an example like Gilmore Girls is maybe a better one, whereas there's enough hardcore fans, you get the people that agree to come back, you do it a limited run. It's like a, 
uh, it's like a reunion, I guess, is kind of the yeah, feeling it, in, in a it, way. It feels kind of like a golden age of revivals. Yeah. Right now. But they're not yeah. even revival. I mean, I don't know. I guess I use revival more in the theatrical sense where it's you're doing the, the original thing again uh, with a new cast and maybe a different staging. Mm-hmm. This is new content um, that's orthogonally related to the main. Like you wouldn't – from what I'm hearing about Chris Shot is it is canon, but it doesn't seem to have the – gravitas or it's sufficiently removed from the main storyline of the books that it feels more like, I don't know, like a Tolkien secondary book set in Middle Earth. Yeah, these like secondary sort of appendixy stories almost that um, are canon, but that you can appreciate the primary like body of work or the primary story without knowing any of this. It's just it's Mm -hmm. purely extra, like kind of surf it. (laughs) Right. Uh, bonus content, I guess. I guess, yeah, bonus content is what it feels like to me of like, you wanted yeah, more, right. here, is, here is some more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, anyway, no, I don't know that that's good or bad. Um, and maybe there have been uh, analogs in previous historical moments where there were particular, it was particularly easy or popular to do this kind of thing. Um, but it feels like to me, especially, and this is the, you know, the gray inversion, um, the mm. ghost at a watchman, uh, the twilight, the twilight one, yeah. um, you know, fantastic beast. Another, you know, it's a spinoff series of the Harry Potter with the, everything yeah, going on, on Netflix. Just feels like there's and, a lot of these. And from a, you know, commercial and business standpoint, I think it's a recognition on the part of the creators of these stories and characters that, people who love them Mm -hmm. really passionately are going to continue the story on their own. They're going to continue imagining stuff with these characters. They're going to make fan art. Like your world that you created is Mm -hmm. not just your world that you created anymore because you're fan. And it never really was, you know, fans have done all sorts of things with the media that they've loved forever. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have a way to see what other people are making and to distribute it now with the internet. And, so now these creators are so aware, like, well, there are all these other stories that people have written about Harry that are on Tumblr. Yeah, um, or Smashwords, f- or Wattpad, right, or, or their yeah, live the journal, fanfic, or whatever. Yeah. Right, on the fanfic sites, this love keeps going for these characters that were created more than, you know, well more than a decade ago now. And how can I get in on that? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm really interested, and I'm sure that it's different for, you know, every author, every creator of a TV show, what the balance is between I want to continue these stories because I love them too. And I want to do fan service for these people who have supported them. And so I'm going to write more stories, but also like, well, if it's that popular, then how can I get in on that action and, you know, make some more money um, from this world that I've created. And all those vectors of exploration for that are, you know, valid in their own ways, but I'm really interested in how the math shakes out. Like if you're JK Rowling, how much of the cursed child is intended to be fan service how much was that she wanted to tell another story how much was like well we could do this and make some money um, i still don't have a good sense of that i've read a lot yeah, about i don't it. either i mean the, her line has been you know i've met this great creative team and we had a great idea i was like that's a but like may, that could very well be true i find it unsatisfying I guess. is her i find it unsatisfying too is her inbox not filled every day oh with people yeah. who were like hey i have this great idea like I don't understand. You can't even be a uh, like, debut author that no one's heard of and have your own book signing at Barnes & Noble without three people walking up to you to be like, I have this idea for another story that you should tell. So imagine being right. J.K. Rowling. Uh, I can't imagine it. I mean, I'm sure it was one of those things where you knew someone who knew someone or this is someone she admired or w- whatever. But the idea that they had a great idea and it was external to her 
just is odd to me. I, again, I'm not discounting that's true. I'm going to take the, what that is as face value, but I'm not sure what it suggests about her relationship to the material. Yeah, I mean, the other thing we're saying now is like she said recently that this is done, that, that Harry's story mm-hmm. is over. And I don't know what that means in terms of plot. I think that's – I don't think it means he dies. I honestly don't know. Um, yeah. But she that she's at, like this is the – which. This is Frodo sailing into the West with the elves. I don't know exactly what that is. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was it was widely reported this week. Um, she was speaking at the Palace Theater on the premiere date of the play for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And she told the press that Harry's journey in the play brings his story to a close mm-hmm. and makes way for new characters. And the quote is, Harry goes on a very big journey during these two plays. And then, yeah, I think we're done. This is the next generation, you know. So I'm thrilled to see it realized so beautifully. But no, Harry is done now. Which, um, as the writer of this IO9 piece that I'm looking at, uh, Beth Elderkin says, this doesn't mean we'll never see Harry Potter again. And this is not the first time that we've heard Rowling or someone who works for Rowling say that she's not writing any more Harry Potter stories. And then there's this like technical caveat since Rowling didn't write the script for The Cursed Child, Jack Thorne did, so she could still write something or, you know, there, there's all this room. But it's not the first time that we've heard this. Well, I don't remember. I mean, I wasn't paying as close attention as as I do now to this sort of stuff when Deathly Hallows came out in 2007. But my my memory seems to be that she sort of said, "Yeah, this I I can't imagine going back to this." Yeah, this, and I, these characters maybe someday with other Wizarding World stuff. But I mm-hmm. right, and then when the news first broke about the Newt Scamander mm-hmm. movie, some of the conversation and I think some of the interviews that she gave about that was to the same tune of, I want to stay in this world, but I'm done telling Harry's story. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, interesting stuff. Uh, kind of a re- couple of related news pieces. We got word this week that the already we've got the sequel to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, or the second in the trilogy. I, I don't know. I guess it's not technically a sequel, but it's part of a trilogy. Anyway, it doesn't matter. This the Another Fantastic Beast set movie in that area, same cast of characters, is going to come out in 2018, so in just two years. So they're going to probably be shooting soon. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're already at least confident enough to say that's going to keep going. Um, Let's see, is there anything else here I was going to put? Anything else about Harry Potter to do? I thought we talked – I think you put this link at the bottom, but I guess what we're talking about sales, um, Publishers Weekly had a piece this week about how not one adult fiction title, a new title – for 2016 has broken into the top 20 bestsellers of 2016. So let, let me rephrase that. I feel like that came across unclear. There wasn't of the top 20 best-selling books in print this year. Not one of them has been a adult fiction hardcover. So not a big front list title. Is guess what I'm trying right. to say. Jojo and- Moyes, Me Before You. Uh, that was backlist. Um, girl, um, Girl on the Train continues it's, to sell well. Sold well in paperback. It, the paperbacks already sold like one. Uh, no, that's not right. Um, Girl on the Train sold 1.6 million covers, copies in hardback, and it just came out this week or last week, I think, in paperback. Um, if you've been waiting on it, you can go um, jump on that <coughs> train. Um, uh, and then End of Watch end of watch probably will end up. It, it's a little bit of a statistical anomaly because it came out at the very end of June, so mm-hmm. it didn't have as, as much time to compete. Um, and then Cursed Child is juvenile. So – so and there's a some like what does that mean? Yeah. Now, tell me if you've been hearing the same things. I saw this in the book right contributor channel, but I've also kind of felt it from other corners. That's actually not been a great year for adult fiction. Yeah. This when this thing when this story from Publishers Weekly came across, it was 
like as first as a note in 2015 girl on the train and gray yeah. both were in this top 20 list mm-hmm. those were the two um new adult fiction releases that made it into the top 20 and then there's all that other stuff like uh oh the places you'll go yeah, that right. it's always in there in january through june um it feels kind of like sadly it felt like validation to see some data for what has felt mm. like it's not been a i don't think it's been a bad year for books by any stretch, but sort of a down cycle. Um, and for the duration of my like publishing blogging career, it has seemed like books sort of go a year on a year off mm. for like one year, there's just really on fire fiction releases. And the next year, it's sort of down. And I don't know if that's real or not, or, you know, how I don't know if it would be borne out by sales numbers, um, mm-hmm. or by review, like overall review, you know, ratings of, ti- of the titles released in a year, but it has felt that way that there's this sort of like big year, and then a not so big year, and then a big year and a not so big year. And there have been some amazing novels mm-hmm. this year, but um, it, it just ha- it has not felt like last year felt. And so from just an anic data feelings perspective, <laughs> um, this felt like, yeah, this feel this feels right. Um, to me, it feels accurate to see these numbers. It's not surprising, I guess. Um, and when I went back to think like if I had to guess about um, if a no- what novel published so far this year would have cracked this top 20, I couldn't really come up with one that I thought we had heard enough about to really do it. The the closest that I got was um, The Queen of the Night by Alexander Mm. Chi, which had a big release in February and did go back for multiple printings, but is also like a, you know, almost 600 page, you know, historical fiction, um, big work that multiple printings is great for a story like that, but you're not going to compete with like Dan Brown um, or Girl on the Train levels of of sales. Um, The one that's the closest just in looking at sales is The Nest. Um, mm. It sold 180,000 copies so far, so that's that's a great for literary fiction. It's not a Goldfinch. It's not you know it's not one of right. those kind of sellers, but um, that's performed very well. I think that's a debut too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a debut. That's a hell and a of good, a job yeah, for it's a, a good book. People really like uh. that. Um, but other than that, it's there hasn't anything really been close. I mean, End of Watch, like I said, will get there. It's just mm-hmm. that the anomaly of where yeah. where it, um, it landed sort of... to. On the other hand, the numbers for sales aren't that different. Um, Year to date, adult fiction sales are only down two percent. So, yeah, it's they're just clustered on older titles. I wonder if just some of those big books from last year, Girl on the Train, Ghost of the Watchman, Gray, just sucked up some of the juice. Like people oh, are maybe. still buying Girl on the Train, so they're not going out and buying, I don't know, a bunch of copies of The Girls by Emma Klein or something. You know, like though mm-hmm. that book has sold pretty well too. Um, uh, or you know, Homegoing by like, are is there only so much? Juice, unless something else breaks out, yeah. um, for people to buy, because the numbers are, aren't that different, to be honest. Um, the other yeah, thing, thinking- what I thought was interesting too, is that adult nonfiction has been had a very good year. It's up eleven percent, mm-hmm. even after we had a big book last year in the coats, which is still selling. Between the world and me, is still selling yeah. in hardcover, great. Um, but I think it's Kalanthi's, um Kalanithis. Sorry, I keep saying Kalanthi because I I'm dumb and my brain wants to shorten it. Kalanithis. Book has sold 350,000 copies in hardcover. That's also great. released in January, so it's had the full. Yeah, it's run had the whole time. Go. It got big pushes on NPR. Mm-hmm. You know, 
thinking about back to the fiction stuff and looking at the nest, this has been a really great year for debuts. And when yeah. you mentioned homegoing, that sort of triggered that for me. Like we had homegoing, um, we have Imbolo and Bui's uh, Behold the Dreamers, which was one of the other big, like it got a huge advance. Um, Works of Fiction is coming out later this month. There have been... The Girls? Um, is Emma of, Klein? Is that a debut too? Yeah, that's a debut. Yeah, there have been a bunch of... copies. Oh, and... Um, and there have been a bunch of uh, like Rich and Pretty. That was a big yeah. debut. Um, bunch of big, great debuts this year. But when you don't have a recognizable name, like solid sales for a debut is usually not the same thing as no. solid sales required to like crack the Amazon. Well, that I mean, that puts 20. the one hundred eighty for one hundred eighty eight thousand for the Nest. I mean, that's what I was trying to say. Is that's a yeah. huge number. Um, well, and then Paula Hawkins for the Girl on the Train. I mean, yeah. That's an outlier, yeah. statistical outlier by mm-hmm. several standard deviations. Really incredible. Um, so that's interesting. See now, now that's a good transition to we now have a we have a new contender. Useful articles about subjects that interest you. It's really sort of a well-rounded knowledge sharing platform for people who love books. It allows you to share your thoughts and your ideas about anything that's related to books or the reading life. You get a personalized news feed that allows other members to see any new content that you've posted, and it'll allow you to see the content from the people that you follow. Sign up is free. You can order books from around the world, benefit from Bookwitty's fair prices, and free, that's free people, worldwide shipping. That is nothing to sneeze mm-hmm. at. Go to bookwitty.com to sign up today with your free account and check it out. Also sponsoring Book Riot Live, I should say. For the, the second the, the year, second yeah. year in a row. Um, and also... Uh, bookriotlive.com you can still get discounted tickets 20 bucks off use offer code wheelhouse one word and you get some other VIP you know goodies thrown in there so go bookriotlive.com Walter Mosley's coming uh, Mara Wilson is coming a mm-hmm. um, whole bunch of other people uh, coming there you can check out see the whole thing there okay all um, right now tell me about our new contender what did Oprah do this week well you know Oprah the sleeping giant of book sales um yeah, frustratingly, I think for the industry, gave up, which was a a locomotive of book sales and publicity when you know the Oprah Book Club was really cooking. Uh, made her biggest splash, and I don't think I used to follow this pretty closely back in the day, but I don't think something like this has happened before. So that her new for the Oprah's Book Club 2.0 is sort of just a when she feels like it kind of situation, um, or when there's a book that especially grabs her attention. So her next pick is The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Uh, which we are all excited about. Um, mm-hmm. The people who have read it on Book Riot are very excited about it. I'm looking forward. To, I was looking forward to reading when it came out. But surprise, Oprah didn't each get us a car, but they she got us each an early release <laughs> of the Underground Railroad. Yeah, you get a book, and you get a book. I've never heard of this happening. I haven't either. I think this is like the publishing equivalent of a surprise Beyonce album. Yeah, I, the only difference is we knew there was a book coming. Uh, right. we did, and it just this got moved up. Now, I guess the real Beyonce thing would be like, you know, tomorrow is like uh, mm-hmm. there's a new uh, – I'm trying to even think who would be the best. Who would be the, I, I can't even think of who it would be. Um, there's a new uh, Juno Diaz novel tomorrow. Oh, yeah, that just appears. Just appeared, right? Um, but this is, you know, this is as close as we're going to get. I don't think that's ever yeah. going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I guess Grey coming out in like three weeks – isn't that what no. happened? It's like Grace coming out in three. Anyway, whatever. yes, but it's not the same as no, like no, here anyway, today. Yeah. Surprise, yeah, new right. book. Yeah, this is this is the first time I've heard of this. Last year, Penguin Random House, which published publishes Colson Whitehead, and um, they moved up by I think about six or yeah. eight weeks the publication date for the Tanahasi Coates mm-hmm. book. They did. Um, 
as the Black Lives Matter movement was ramping up in the middle of the summer and following the Charleston shootings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was like, but that was a publishing house making the decision. And presumably they, you know, they knew that they were far enough along in production that they could do that. Um, but that happened last summer. And this is the only time that I've heard of of this happening, you know, in this way, someone wants to, someone famous wants to do a thing with a book. And so your publication date gets moved up six weeks, but like Oprah is the only person who could make this happen for a book. There's nobody, I don't think there's anybody else of that stature who could call up a publisher and say, I want to do a thing with this book. I also want to do it on a different time frame than you have in mind. And so I need you to publish it sooner. Uh, I've read, I've read the pieces about this. Have you anything, seen anything that explained why not just why didn't she just wait until the book was out like why why now i mean i, I can have speculate not. but i haven't seen it yeah no i haven't seen anything that explains it my like speculative guess w- w- is that it just had something to do with oprah with the editorial calendar for oprah and for when they wanted to do book club stuff um but also like colson whitehead's schedule for his, this book tour is bananas mm. i follow him on twitter and i've seen like what they have going on for this book and so also Maybe when Oprah called up Penguin Random House, the only way to really make this work in a way that like Oprah could have access to him and they could ride this wave mm. was to, you know, create an additional block of time mm-hmm. for stuff to be done around the book because all the existing time was already accounted for. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. But also it's just magic. Like, no, it's maybe fun. There like, wasn't, it's totally yeah, fun. And that's maybe reason there was no know. reason. Yeah. And they were like, what if we make it we release it early and then it's a surprise and then it's an even bigger deal, um, which that's a good reason on its own you get more of the fall to sell into you get all of september yeah, right because it was an right, october right release, now I you get people that are like uh, you know haven't yet gone on their end of summer vacations and this is the thing that they're going to pick up because it's the oprah book club seal on a book in the airport bookstore um i think it's smart and man i started it i was saving it for mid-september for the for that week's all the books episode so i started it that day and it's killer i i'm looking forward to it um i guess now i can go get it i you know as you know i don't read a lot of review copies um and this one is kind of for me colson whitehead i've read all the novels i've got mm-hmm. all except the Inti- intuitionist because i came to him after that came out i have first editions you know that's one of my one of my authors that i collect as so far as I collect anything more. I've written about Colton Whitehead back in grad school, really uh, as, as interesting an author on a novel to novel basis. Um, Cause you, it, it can be totally different. You know, contemporary, yeah, this doesn't... one's historical fiction. It's magical mm-hmm. realism. Sag Harbor was sort of thinly veiled memoir. Um, there's, there, there's, you know, satire. Zone one is zombie. the zombies. Yeah. It's like, it's all, you know, Whatever I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, I think he is the best exemplar of sort of the new face of literary fiction, which is really more of the the tendrils hook it together, but it's cross genre, you know, like mm-hmm. it's art writing that exists in many different genres in, in a lot of different ways. Um, I've always admired what he does. Funny yeah, guy, every, a good every follow book on is, Twitter too. Yeah, he's a great follow on Twitter, and every book is so different, so different. from all the other ones. You can't look at the body of work yeah. and make any guess about what the next book is going to be. Like if you looked at noble zone, hustle, nonfiction right. in the Colossus of New York. Yeah. No, it's if you had looked at zone one and then you looked at the noble hustle, which is about, which is his memoir about learning to play poker. Mm-hmm. You would never have gotten to, yeah, the next novel is going to be historical fiction about a slave escaping a plantation in Georgia via the underground railroad, except the railroad is literal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> and there it's are like Tony Morrison like, crossed with China Mieville. It's yeah. like that's it's a very unusual place to be in. Um, so anyway, I'm very guessed. excited about it. It's it, it's it is worth being excited about. So it's so good so far, and man, I, it's. This is so exciting to see Oprah take a book that was like, this was going to be an event in publishing mm-hmm. and it was going to be an event for literary fiction readers, I think. No, now um, it's a pop culture event. For book clubs, right. And But now this book is going to have a pop culture Oprah level moment and that level of exposure. And that's so exciting. So exciting for books. And Whitehead, while he he's won a MacArthur Genius Award, I don't know, uh, uh, I, the last book, what was the last one? What was the last book, that, the Whitehead that came out? I guess Noble Hustle. It was Zone 1 and the oh, Noble Zone Hustle. Oh, Zone 1. Yeah. So was the site up and running for Zone 1? I don't I don't remember. remember. That, that, they thought that book was going to sell, and I think it did okay. But he hasn't quite broken into the, I don't know, you know, the, the literary fiction authors that people might pick up, you know, that, that sort of more casual readers that still mm-hmm. like books might know, like your, your Jonathan Saffron Fowers, your Michael Shabins, your Toni Morrison's. Um, I'm not sure even, you know, that category. It's a rarefied category to be sure. Yeah. I think he's po- he's been poised for a while to be that, and Oprah probably will be. Yeah, and, and I think he's poised also to hit a different kind of reader. I just looked it up, and Zone 1 came out in hardcover in the fall of 2010. So Book Riot nope, still did, a not year away exist, yet. Yeah. did not exist yet. But it was that book came out in this moment of, like, The Magicians was coming mm-hmm. out. Um, Ready Player One, I think, was on the way. Um, and we were starting to see, like, it was that magic moment of, like, what the internet was doing with the conversation about books and what literary well, Station fiction Station 11 writers. came out, like, a year oh, later, right? Yeah, and The Passage was coming right. out or yep. had just come out, and there there were all these literary writers really going into genre mm-hmm. in interesting and creative ways. And he's, I think he's poised with Underground Railroad and just with what he does in general to to be in that like household name yeah. level of recognition like Toni Morrison and the, the other authors that you were just listing, but also to break into the slightly more like just slightly more commercial pop culture moment um, of readers that like that literary twist on genre. Because mm-hmm. um, he just does that so well. And is such a good, there's so much great, like the writing is excellent, but there's so much good story in all yeah. of his books too. And, and um, if you're keeping, I mean, if this is the kind of thing you care about, if you can get good odds on it at, uh, what is the, what's the Pembrokes or whatever, the English that takes bets oh, right. on weird. If you can get Colson Whitehead at 101 to win the Nobel someday mm. that's worth a hundred that's worth a that's worth a c note of yeah a bet, i started I would say. thinking this week about who's going to be nominated for like the pulitzer yeah. and the national book award from this year and if the underground railroad is not the top contender for for both of those um at at least at what's been released so far this mm-hmm. year i will be very surprised yeah very surprised i'm looking so, so i saw some people speculating that this was you know like response to what the there was, you know, Michelle Obama in her uh, speech said, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, my children play on the lawn of a house paid by slaves. And then, like, Bill O'Reilly said some dumb stuff. And there was, like, you know, slavery wasn't that bad, blah, blah, blah. And this is a book about slavery, so there might have been some urgency around that. I think this takes longer than that to do. Like, yeah, I just don't I see – I mean, it would make sense from a, I, I don't know, sort of a political, social political moment. But logistically, I don't think they could have pulled it together because bookstores had them. They had features ready to go. Yeah. There's branding. Like, I think it, as it's, knowing what we know about how publishing moves, mm-hmm. I don't think it could have been that fast. I think they've been working on this for a couple months at least, is my sense of it. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I would be interested in what the timeline is of, like, how long is it between the moment that Oprah contacts the publisher and says, this is what I want to do, and then when the thing actually 
occurs. But I agree. I don't think this is that short or that fast of a response to what's been happening. But I do think, you know, Oprah is a smart lady um, and she's thinking about what's happening in the political climate. Yes, now that this I think year. is possible. And I think. I don't think it's an accident that the book that she's choosing to put into the pop culture readers hands is a book about slavery um, in an election year. And that now we have six more weeks to read this book mm -hmm. than we were originally going to have and to think about um, the issues that Whitehead gets into. And I'll tell you, like in the first 50 pages of this book, there are pretty you know, head on brutal looks at the treatment of slaves mm -hmm. and Whitehead is like, he's not messing around no. and Oprah is not messing around with what she's hoping to see happen in this election year. And I, I, I don't think this is an accident. You know, she didn't like, there's a reason that the Oprah book club pick going into the 2016 election is not like the nest. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that's why I said, I don't, I don't think it's as the timing just doesn't, compute to me yeah. that that could happen that specific comment but I would not be shocked at all in fact I think it's pretty likely that what you said is true mm -hmm. is that that the the macro political moment um may have given yeah. her Oprah. and whitehead and it's a double day book I think um which is random yes. house um some urgency Mm -hmm. Yeah, she knows how much influence mm -hmm. she has. And this is a very, I, I I think we have to assume with her with the fact that she's such a, a smart businesswoman, and she yeah. knows the role that she plays in the culture that this is a tactical move at a certain time um, with this book. On and, the other hand, it could have been they're in a meeting and they're like, why not now? Or yeah, what, sure. what? And they're like, Okay, you know, I mean, I mean, <laughs> right. there's, a, there's a lot of reason, uh, plausible scenarios. Um, yeah. That that go um, on. Uh, Occam's just, Razor suggests it's like let's just do it. But uh, yeah, anyway. uh, while we're talking about this book and about you know the big books on race for the year, I just want to mention um, that this week the fire this time that's yes. edited by Jesmyn Ward um, has come out on the anniversary of the publication of James Baldwin's essays The Fire Next Time, and it is incredible. I think I don't remember if you and I were talking about it offline or we mentioned on it on the, the show, show as one thing we were looking forward recently, to a couple times. I believe um, yeah. incredible collection of essays by contemporary writers about blackness in the United States, and it, it deals. There are three sections, and so it deals. With with the past, the present, and the future, which is sort of a forward-looking, hopeful um, look at what Black writers are hoping life in America will be like for Black people. But it's so varied. There's a piece about walking while Black in Kingston, Jamaica, New Orleans, and New York. Uh, there's a piece about outcast and what it meant to uh, hear music, like to be a guy from the South and to finally hear like the Southern voice in rap and hip hop. Uh, Jasmine Ward's own piece is about getting her DNA tested to find out who her ancestors really were. Mm. Um, and like what understanding the code of her actual heritage and history did or didn't do for her identity as a black woman in Mississippi, where the one drop rule is very much real uh, in the culture. It's, it's so, the book is so, so good. If you read the ta Coats last year, if you're thinking about race in, the United States, if especially as we go into the uh, election cycle, it's well worth the price of admission for the hardcover. Yeah, we talked about it. I'm looking forward. To, I'm going to Powell's today, and I think I'm going to pick up both the Whitehead and the yeah. the Fire this time. Um, let's see. Well, and you know what? I'll well, I'll make sure to do a sales watch for the oh yes, the yeah, we should keep Underground an eye on Railroad. That. And, well, and you know, it's nonfiction. I'm not sure how much the Fire this time will sell, but mm -hmm. I'll be super interested to see. Yeah, I bet with the Oprah Power 
Colson Whitehead is going to crack that Amazon well, here's your top over 20 under. this year. Let's see. Let me, okay. give you, oh. you want to take an over? Let me, let me just take a look here. Let me give you a good... Um, well, it looks like... Hmm. Um, so already the girls has sold 88... 1,500 copies since June. Um, so I'm going to put the over-under for first week book scan sales of the Underground Rail- Railroad at 40,000. You want the over 40,000. I'm taking the over. I'm taking the over. You're on the record. Mm-hmm. On the record. That's why I like doing the over-under because I'm not on the record really. I don't think. <laughs> still stinging from the loss of last year's bet. I think that's – I think they're still counting chads in Florida about that one. I don't know that that's – I'm not sure that's technically – You're just going to delay that one. Yeah, forever. yeah. It, the, it, um, until the heat death of the universe, there's, I still have a chance. Just – it's a totally respectable – Respectable. Respectable. Yeah. Respectable. Respectacles are there. very like fancy, like looking glasses, like a monocle. <laughs> like a, that's a respectacle. You definitely need a respectacle. I do. I like the Monopoly dude. You could, you'd pull it right off. Yeah. Minecraft um, Speaking Speaking of Oprah, mm. um, she is going to be. We've talked uh, previously about how Ava DuVernay is going. Du- DuVernay, I'm not sure how I'm to. Not sure either. It. I have to admit, she yep. is directing the a new adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time, and uh, Oprah is set to join the cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Oprah's first time at being an actress, not by any stretch. That's kind of all we know yep. is that Oprah is going to be in the movie. Um, and we know that the cast is going to be diverse and largely black. And it's so it's going to be so interesting uh, to see what Ava DuVernay does with this. But Oprah, you know, she's she is, you know, not retired. No, no, she's she's, <laughs> she's on the Mount busy. Rushmore of, liter- of uh, you know, celebrities, bookish celebrities. In fact, probably three of the four heads of Mount Rushmore right <laughs> They're now. All They're all Oprah. Just, just Oprah's different profiles, different shots. Um, that very interesting. We got more. We got more wrinkle in time news, but let's do another sponsor just real quick because there's yeah. we're gonna have cascading things that relate to each other. Um, tryaudiobooks.com. So we've talked a lot on the show. They've done a, a lot of great sponsorships for us. You know, crafting, gardening, but we want to also talk about like genre. So there's a lot of great sci-fi and tech audio, both fiction and nonfiction. Um, speaking of sales, you know what? Crazily, I don't know if it's crazy, but um, Chuck Wendig's second Star Wars novel um, is in the top 25 adult fiction. Aftermath, hey, Life Death Chuck. by Chuck Wendig. It's a Star Wars novel. Um, it sold, it's selling well. His first one sold very well. That was called Aftermath. And there's another one called Empire's End, I believe, coming out this year. That's available there. We've talked about Sleeping Giants before. So, someone on Twitter just last week, or a couple of people on Twitter last week were like saying they love Sleeping Giants because we recommended it on the show. Oh, oh jo- Josh Hanagarn, a friend, uh, oh, book yeah. writer, mm-hmm. contributor, um, the world's strongest librarian. He loved it. A couple of other people loved it. Um, always glad to hear when people read something we recommend. That's available. That's another one you might pick up too. So you can go to tryaudiobooks.com and check out their genre picks there. Uh, a lot of interesting ones. And also there's a lot of interesting nonfiction about, available about tech and sci-fi. Um, the new one came out this week from Crown Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. I saw a lot of people talking about that. I don't know what that's about. I haven't even seen it oh. yet. I do know what it's about. about? Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but it's about um, a guy who I think he's in Chicago gets uh, like knocked out and then abducted by bad strangers. And when he wakes up, they say, welcome back to him. But he is being welcome back, welcome back, man, Mm. respectable, respectable. (laughs) 
It sounds like a Harry Potter spell. <laughs> um, he's being welcomed back to a world that is not the world that he left. Like, uh. His wife is not his wife. His son was never born. And then it goes from there to play with. I think like. So it's like multiple, it's a wonderful life with a kidnapping involved. Do multiple realities exist uh. at the same time? See, gotcha. Uh, cool. Yeah. Lo- I've heard lots of buzz about it. Um, you know, if you want to go, like we said, Ready Player One. That's a good one. It's been audio narrated by Will Wheaton crown title um so go to tryaudiobooks.com for a free audiobook and start listening and a bunch of recommendations there for you thanks so much to them for sponsoring the show on an ongoing basis um free audiobook from them cool all right so a wrinkle in time to making news uh having a a moment um chelsea clinton in her speech at the democratic national convention this week we have you know politics are in the news so i'm not surprised we're talking about it's even bleeding into the world of books in a serious way mentioned reading a wrinkle of time as a kid um, and it it had the effect of shooting Wrinkle in Time up the bestseller list. It cracked the top twenty on Amazon. Um, interesting there. But the the real story in the selling world in the Amazon world, at least, is mm-hmm. um, uh, what's it? The, I, I, Kizimir Khan, I believe. Kizer Khan. Kizer Khan. Um, mm-hmm. The impassioned speech um, by the father uh, of the the I believe army captain that was killed in two thousand four. Um, you know. You know, in this, this famous, I think it's going to be one of the the famous moments from this election cycle, maybe any election cycle, where he sort of asked Donald Trump, "Have you read the Constitution? If if you if you haven't, you can borrow mine." And he's waving around this pocket version of the U.S. Constitution, and that for the weekend um, became the number one bestseller on Amazon. This dollar copy um, that was available there, and there was actually a couple other copies that, as people were just sort of Google or Amazoning, mm-hmm. I guess, for it, um, found it. Um, you know, there are three in the top 40 versions of the you know, pocket constitution copies that screamed up the bestseller charts. Um, I thought that's super interesting, right? I mean, I don't it, know what to say about it, except it's, I, I don't know what I do you say. What do we say about it? It renews some of my faith in humanity. Oh, yeah, that people actually go buy it. <laughs> well, yeah, this election cycle has been not great mm. for uh, faith in humanity. Oh, really? And- you think? <laughs> With the exception of the, you know, getting to run the loop of Michelle Obama's mm, DNC mm. speech for a couple of days. Um, but that this, this, like, his speech was so, as you said, impassioned and powerful. And I do think it will be long remembered. But that the response to that is Americans, like, I should have a copy mm. of the Constitution myself. Right. I should read that too. You know, maybe I'm familiar with the idea or I can Google what is actually in the First Amendment and what's not, but there's something about the importance of actually reading the document or having it for yourself and um, that it's available for a dollar right. also makes me happy. Um, but that that was the response that so many Americans saw this speech and then went and wanted to have their own copies of the Constitution, I think is that, that's just a powerful statement. It gives me some goosebumps about um, like things might really be okay. <laughs> also, um, it shows that I mean, the ratings for the speeches, the Democratic National Convention, like average a 30 million, a 30, which I think is 30, I think means 30 million people watching it. I'm not sure. Mm. Or 30% of the available audience. I can't remember. But a whole bunch of people watch it. Like a huge number of people watch it. So one is just you, you get that many people watching a speech and there's something that they can buy mentioned, they're going to buy it. Um or at least be interested in it, but it actually converted. Like, I think that's the part that's like people were actually buying it. And then right. people maybe hadn't heard yeah, of like, Wrinkled of Time or remembered that they knew it or that there's, there's, there's latent interest in text to buy. 
if you can just get the mm-hmm. message out to people, I think is something I was I was interested in. Yeah, it's it. You know, we were talking about the Oprah effect when Stephen Colbert was doing uh, his nightly show. We were seeing the Colbert effect where he would have an author on, and then the book would surge up the Amazon. Yeah, the California by Ian Lepecky, right? That was the one, right? And um, there was a memoir. Oh, uh, yeah. this, I think it was called "This Is Why I Jump." This is how I jump. Something like that. That um, was one of the first ones that um, oh, was a was memoir. Oh, was that the one by, that was the David Mitchell translated from Japanese? Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 And it's a it, right. David Mitchell translated it from Japanese, and it's a memoir by a man with autism. Right. Um, and that was, I think, the first one of the first times or the most notable time that a book had surged up the Amazon lists overnight because of appearing mm-hmm. on Colbert. So that's a thing. But now, like, we see that the and you know, not everybody on TV has this effect. Right. Um, but we saw it come out of um, of the dem- de- of the Democratic <laughs> National Convention. I'm really having respectable trouble today. Um, it, I I was happy to see this. Um, my friend Josh Christie, who we've talked about on the show, carries the Constitution in his pocket every day, mm. um, and I've always thought like that's so great. And well, I you wish never more know people... an impromptu uh, performance yeah. of 1776 is going to break <laughs> out. You might need it. <laughs> you didn't go straight for the Hamilton references here. Uh, I haven't seen. I don't. I haven't <laughs> seen Hamilton. I haven't even listened to this. This is. I've. I've only have a Hamilton contact. Type. We've talked about this. Before. Yeah, no, me too. Like, we are probably the last two people on the internet yeah, who right. haven't listened to Hamilton yet. Um, but yeah, I just, I just loved seeing this. If you bought a, a copy mm. of the Constitution after watching the speech, or someone that you know did, like it stands to reason maybe that in a bookish community, somebody listening to this show I would have um, might so, be. Yeah. Among the people who contributed to this surge in sales, I'd love to know if you if you're willing to talk about it and um, what led to that. If you would let us know, podcast at bookriot.com. Uh, let's do a fun thing to end the show this week. Um, you found this, so why don't you tell me about? This? Or, yeah, yeah, you so were you're, especially excited about this. So. I think this is great in the realm of librarians doing fun things that embrace their local communities. And this is your local librarians in Multnomah County. They um, they started on their Twitter account the Books for Tats campaign. Um, it was Steve Rakoski. He's an assistant, uh, or he's a library assistant there. They came up with the idea to match readers with books based on their tattoos, um, which is like the most Portland thing that I have ever seen. Uh, they got a bunch of response, over 150 tattoos were sent in on social media. And now you can like walk into the Multnomah County Public Library and show them your tattoos and they will recommend you books based on them. I mean, I suppose, I mean, I, you, you know, you could speak to this more than I can, so I don't have a tattoo, but you put that tattoo on your body, that means something to you. Mm-hmm. Probably of all the sort of visual indicators you could get from somebody about what they might interest in, I mean, not a bad one to use. I don't yeah, even know what and- you would use that would be better. And presumably, or I'm I'm guessing, like that there's some conversation about the tattoos mm. too. Like you tell the story of, of what the tattoo means to you, why you have this mm. particular thing on your body, and then the librarian knows something about you. I see, and uh, and can recommend a book. So yeah, save for uh, actually looking at someone's bookshelf. I'm just looking around the office here, like what object or thing could I like show to someone? Say, recommend me something based on this. Oh, uh, yeah. And I can't think of anything really. Better to be. Yeah, honest you could do. You. Uh, you could do. You know, your, your me, music like, collection, right? Your, your like the top ten songs in your Spotify or your favorite piece of I don't art. Think stuff in your fridge but, would be that telling. It doesn't seem. No. Like, doesn't like, <laughs> just looking around here. How dirty your house is is what I'm noticing. <laughs> Something, you got any novels I, I about vacuum cleaners? It seems like you need. <laughs> 
somebody gave me as a gift a book about house cleaning a year or two uh, ago that was I think it was called My Boyfriend Puked in My Handbag and it's like a how-to guide about how like how to clean yeah. everything that you need to clean. And I was like, you know, just having this book makes me feel like I've done enough. Mm-hmm. My house will stay dirty. Um, good job, um, librarians. That's a fun one. Yeah, good job, librarians. I'm going to be out there in Portland next week. You're probably going to have to take me on a Multnomah County field trip. Well, I tell you, there's enough tattoos here. There's got plenty of fodder. For... <laughs> I feel like I'm just going to fit right in. Yeah, you probably will need to get seven or eight more just to, like, it's like <laughs> camouflage, dermatological camouflage um, for fitting in here. Uh, that's our show. Thanks so that's much to, to trialbooks.com for sponsoring the show, for Bookwitty for sponsoring the show, for audible.com for sponsoring the show. You can find the show notes to this and back episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Go get your $20 off ticket two-day book nerd extravaganza this November in New York City. Go to bookriotlive.com. Use offer code wheelhouse. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at the Jeff O'Neill, O-N-E-A-L. She's at Rebecca Shinsky, R-E-B-E-C-C-A. I'm spelling your whole name, apparently. Ah, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Um, and we're going to be – Rebecca's coming into town for some business meetings this week uh, – next week. So we're going to be in the same spot. So we have to do the super awkward thing of being in the same – location but recording in different rooms because it's only the second most awkward thing the most awkward thing is being in the same room and <laughs> what trying do to I record do with the, my eye what hands? do i do with my eye hands um we tried that once never again uh will that occur <laughs> we don't talk about it um and uh we'll talk to you guys next week have a good one